Hey, everybody. We are talking about helping your kids make smart decisions today on the show. I wanted to poke fun at my own kids, but, you know, I can't think of anything they do wrong. Hmm. Well, actually, that's not true. I can think a lot of it. I can think of a lot of things they do wrong. We'll be talking about those and some other things that uh, can help you with your children. We come back to the Matt Townsend Show. Good afternoon. I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. President Barack Obama's acceptance speech of the Democratic Party's nomination has been moved indoors due to threat of rough weather. No outdoor acceptance speech and, as a result, no balloons. The traditional massive balloon drop that marks the end of a candidate's acceptance speech has been scrapped here in Charlotte after officials were forced to move tomorrow night's program indoors with the threat of severe weather. It's too late now to fill the Time Warner Cable Arena ceiling with balloons. Organizers are scrambling to find another festive way to mark the convention's end. Sagar Megani, Charlotte. This year's wild outbreak of West Nile virus is continuing to get worse as officials report that it has infected people in all 48 contiguous states. The West Nile virus has infected 1,993 people in the U.S. this year, killing 87 of them. The CDC's Dr. Lyle Peterson says it's spreading like wildfire. This week numbers represent about a 25% increase over last week. It's growing at the fastest pace since West Nile was first reported in the U.S. 13 years ago. The CDC urges the use of insect repellent and clothing that minimizes exposure to mosquitoes carrying the disease. Peterson says rain and flooding from Hurricane Isaac could lead to explosive increases in mosquitoes along the Gulf Coast, increasing the risk there. I'm David Melendi. Workers in the U.S. were more productive in the second quarter than expected this year, which could mean bad news for future job growth. The Labor Department says productivity increased at an annual rate of 2.2 percent in the April to June quarter, up from an initial estimate of 1.6 percent. Economist Kurt Rankin at PNC Financial Services says that could mean slower job growth ahead. As businesses are able to squeeze more productivity out of their existing workforces, the need for them to hire more workers is going to face headwinds even versus what it's been over the past uh, several months with the slow growth that we've had. And with more productive workers, companies saved some money, too. Labor costs rose at an annual rate of 1.5 percent, slightly lower than the 1.7 percent initially estimated. David Melendi, Washington. Many of us have apps on our mobile phones, but a large percentage of U.S. adults aren't too keen on how nosy some of those apps can be. The Pew Internet and American Life Project asked mobile phone users whether they've avoided installing an application for fear of giving up too much personal information. More than half those who report using apps said they had. Three in ten said they'd removed an app after finding out how much information it collected about them. Apps cover everything from driving directions to recipes to photography. Overall, 88% of adults reported owning a mobile phone. 43% of them have downloaded apps. That's up 12% in a year. Ever lost your phone? Almost a third say so have they. Warren Levinson, New York. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Matt Townsend, your relationship coach, your guide on the side, doing what we can every day on this show. 
to help you and your loved ones grow healthier, happier lives, healthier, happier relationships. Welcome to the program, everybody. Today, I think we've got a wonderful show for you. Today, we're talking about your kids. How, uh, when we send them on their beautiful little way, how do we make sure that they are prepared to make the decisions they need to make? Right now, they're all going out there. It's funny, as we're broadcasting here from Brigham Young University, you see all the newbies on campus, all the new ones with their nice bikes and clean, (laughs) nice clothes that mom and dad helped them pack. Uh, And then you see them making the decisions like turning in front of you. Uh, driving real slow. No, they get on campus and now the big decisions come, right? Now they start having people, you know, come up to them and see if they want a credit card. <laughs> That's all they need to start doing is their big financial decisions they've got to make. Uh, you know, even deciding what school. I have a teenager right now that's trying to decide what school to go to. And he really feels it's important to go away, very, very far away. And, and in my mind, honestly, I'm all for it. Uh, in fact, I'll drive you. I will even I'll, I won't even drive you. I will put you on the bus and send you far away. Except uh, when he started to find out what tuition costs on in out of state tuition. So that's a problem. All these big decisions, the schools they need to go to, the career they want to follow and pursue, their values, their mission. All of these decisions kind of start coming to a head as we send them out on their own sweet little way. And so on today's show, we are going to be bringing on um, the author of a book. Sean Moon is the author of the book, On Your Own, A Young Adult's Guide to Making Smart Decisions. We're going to be talking to him, giving you some tools, some ideas as parents for how. Uh, what are the things you need to make sure that, you know, the things that have to be accomplished, the, the tools, the guides that we should be instilling in our hearts and the minds of our children. So as they go out and make these decisions, they have some thing to fall back on and uh, hopefully make better decisions in their own lives. Not like we can control it forever, right? Because once they're gone, they may be gone. If not, they're coming back and then they're going to just slowly wear you down with (laughs) neediness. So our job, our goal is to help you with that. Now, you know all the advice your parents gave you when, when you were a kid, right? All that brilliant advice. Do you remember about 10 years later when you realized that all their advice was right? Some of us are still trying to get there. remember as a kid, my dad would always talk about the satisfaction that comes along with hard work. My mom would say how much easier life is when you're organized and keep your room clean. I always just assumed that those were lies they made up to get me to do the things they didn't want to do, like mowing the lawn and cleaning the garage. But then it turns out there was some truth to it after all. I've had my moments of realization where I felt a kind of positive regret, and I think to myself, so that's what dad was talking about. In today's world, words like duty and obligation or responsibility, they really aren't part of the younger generation's lexicon. As people my age contemplate big decisions like school, work, or even marriage, they often seek out what is more fun than fulfilling. As I look at my parents' life, they're rarely out on a beach or a cruise or enjoying fine food at a fancy restaurant. 
My dad has worked the same job every day for over 30 years, and my mom spent the best years of her life worrying about us. Yet they are two of the happiest people I know. For all the mistakes of the previous generation, I think most of them pretty much got it right. And I think my generation would do well to let go of our sense of entitlement and spend more time asking what we can do for our society than what society is doing for us. So next time you talk to your parents, thank them for the lessons they taught you. Chances are they didn't even know you were watching. Excellent advice, Thomas Brinton. That was、uh, our famous Thomas Brinton, who this is his last. That was his last. Offering on this show. And of course, the offering was very mature. And we love him to death. He's going to greater things.、Um, I think he's、uh, got gym class next week. No, he, Tom has these big internships. He's now got to go start making some money. So we appreciate Tom.、Uh, we bid him farewell. He's not going to be far someday. I'm sure you'll see him in a band,、um, probably on the lower, you know, the dark side of town where、uh, people get. Mugged, and he'll be he'll be playing in that band daily. So appreciate you, Tom. It really is interesting that remember the moment when you realize that your parents aren't as far crazy and off as you thought they were. Do you remember when you just thought they were nuts, and then all of a sudden they start to make sense? So we're going to be giving you some tools, some ideas, so that your children maybe don't think you're so crazy with all of this wisdom that you've been giving them. We're going to be talking to the author Sean Moon of the book On Your Own. He's going to give us tips and ideas. Basically, it's a guide for all of these、uh, young adults that are leaving, going away to college, and starting their own lives. Some tools for them, some things that maybe you can go home and talk to them about. We'll be coming back with Sean, and、uh, we've got a bunch of other great segments and, and other ideas that we're going to be dropping into your brain, trying to give you the tools you need to make life a little bit easier. Remember, it's not all bad, right? Life is great. We'll be back after this break right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. A futuristic monitoring system originally conceived for spaceships may soon help keep you safe on the road. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories behind the ideas that shape our future. In the movies, starship crews know right away when their ship is damaged and how bad it is because the ship can tell them. Guess what? Futuristic sensor monitoring systems aren't just science fiction anymore. California based company Intelligent Fiber Optic Systems, or IFOS, Has developed a system of sensors that uses fiber optics to monitor structural integrity and pinpoint damage in boats, cars, airplanes, buildings, and even bridges. The advanced system uses multiple sensors implanted at strategic locations within a structure. When the sensors detect changes that signal trouble, fiber optics transmit data to operators that tells them how bad the damage might be and where they should take a closer look. The system serves as an advanced early warning system so engineers can fix trouble spots. Even before regularly scheduled maintenance might catch a problem. This sensor technology can also be used to keep an eye on voltage levels in power lines, detect toxic chemicals in the air, and even monitor oil and gas pipelines. With this intelligent monitoring system, maintenance crews can focus their energy and resources to make your commute safer, even if you aren't traveling by spaceship. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. 
Keep up to date with BYU Radio's programming by liking BYU Radio on Facebook. You can check our page for BYU sports updates and information on our entertainment programming. Like us on Facebook at BYU Radio. Talk about good. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Now, we're talking today about uh, as we send our children on their way, right? We want to make sure that we've done a good job as parents, that they have a chance to succeed. And if you think about it, as we're sending them on their way, how we can send them out into the world is very much dependent on what we've done with them for the last few years, right? So think about it as a parent. Have you been a parent that empowers your children, that that helps them become more independent? Or have you been one that maybe, you know, makes them a little more clingy? And when we try to teach our kids to make good decisions, we're hoping to help them obviously avoid the negative consequences the years down the road, right? But there's one rite of passage that has immediate consequences. Me having to teach my daughter... um I'm not sure if I'll be able to do that. I don't know. Uh, I try not to think about it, actually. Uh, I, I don't even want to think about it because uh, as much as I trust my daughter and think she's a pretty responsible person, I just picture her doing stupid stuff. <laughs> Being able to grab the steering wheel, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Well, I now know why they charge you extra to insure 16-year-old young men who are, <laughs> who are driving. We've got three teenage boys and uh, I am an uptight driver. I have unrealistic expectations of my fellow drivers. Why? Because there's so much at stake. I worked with my first boy, and it wasn't pretty. As a result, I don't think I was really given the chance to teach my second or third boy the opportunity to learn the Mark Waite style of uh, correct driving principles. Kids think they know it, and they start doing it on their own. And then they realize, oops, I don't know everything. And we'd keep saying, he'd say, Dad, I'm fine. I can, I'm keeping the speed limit. I want to be. And we said, no, no, we're, we're trying to exit. You have to be in the right lane to do that. And I don't know why it took so long to get that through his head. But by the time we got home, we, we shook our heads and said, never again. I think that she'll actually listen to me, really. I mean, I, 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 I don't worry about her as much as I would some other teenagers I've met. Um, she, she does listen pretty well, but... Still, Oh, it's way easier for somebody else to teach, and I can see why there are driving schools with professionals who uh, I assume are very patient individuals, but they have a brake on their side of the car, right? I didn't have a brake on my side of the car, and it makes all the difference in the world. Oh, I think absolutely so. He was He's driven with older brother, older sister, and I think... I think that was a, a, a way more congenial relationship. <laughs> in certain situations, I think it is. They'll believe somebody else more than they'll believe their parents because they they think that mom and dad are trying to protect them too much. I, uh, I think that yelling is usually my modus operandi in uh, trying to b- distill and uh, instill wisdom in my children. It is true that a teenager hears so much advice from a loving parent that they learn quickly to tune it out and to stop listening. And that's why we have, uh, that's why it takes a community. That's why it takes a village to raise a child because children might be more likely to listen. Oh, yeah. As soon as we got out of the car, we were saying, you know, this is sort of like how at your age you feel like you know everything, but it might be wise to consider what older people have to say. They might have learned something in all those decades of experience. Um, I've, I've seen the look on my, on my children's face. 
when they actually hear something that my wife and I have tried to teach them, uh, teach them, and then um, a teacher or a friend of the family or somebody else outside of the family says the exact same thing, and they realize, wait a minute, mom and dad were right. Mom and dad are always right, aren't they? Come on. We know what we're talking about. But boy, if you've ever tried to teach your child to drive a car, you understand what fear is really like. And now we're then going to send them on their way. And not only are they going to be driving a car away to college, they're going to be driving their life. For many of them, the first time in their life, they're going to be underway, uh, hopefully, they're going to have a plan and a map and know how the car works, their life, and 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 some way to make these decisions. And so we're bringing on um, an expert. Now, he'll hate to be called that, but uh, Sean Moon, father of four, uh, wonderful man, just a good friend of mine, uh, has written a book called On Your Own, A Young Adult's Guide to Making Smart Decisions. Sean, welcome to the program, my friend. Thank you, Matt. Wonderful to be here. Now, uh, Sean, you also, you're, you're not coming from this, you know, kind of, you're, you're trying to teach your kids to be leaders, to lead their own lives. And, and you're coming from this, you know, with a lot of executive experience. You've served as an executive vice president. You currently serve as an executive vice president of Global Sales and Delivery at Franklin Covey. So you know leadership. Plus, you've got a great education and you're just a well-liked guy. So what's well, the big deal? Thank you, Matt. Um, you know, it, it is interesting as you think about. I loved, by the way, the sound bites that you shared at the beginning, and yeah. I think the metaphor of teaching your children how to be independent in the car mm-hmm. uh, is a pretty nice metaphor for you know what is required to teach your children to be independent and ultimately effectively interdependent in life. Yeah. Um, you know, because when you're driving the car, you're not just independent. You've got to you've got to relate to all the other cars on the road. So that's that's a nice. That's a nice metaphor. It really, um, and, and it's just as hard. I mean, it really is. It's deadly too. <laughs> you know what I mean? If they don't it do it right, places, it, could be... it can take you places fast, That's but right. it can also kill you. That's yeah. right. Yeah, love it. Tell me, um, tell me, as you just think about this, and as you wrote your book, you obviously thought you know the kids needed some tools. Yeah. What uh, What was the motivation behind your book? Well, there are a couple of things that were a real driver behind the book. The first was. Um, something that occurred many years ago, and uh, not only from my own experience, but but was really with a family member. As I watched this uh, this young person of great promise, you know, and, and, and wonderful potential, but who didn't see it in himself, mm-hmm. go off on his own, somewhat unprepared, um, and then I watched the struggles that he went through, uh, and ultimately made some really terrific choices, and and how. You know, he course-corrected when necessary and, and how it really changed the trajectory of his entire life. I started to think, you know, the seed was planted. Think about the impact and the, and the leverage that these small decisions have at such a pivotal point in someone's life. Oh, yeah. And, you know, we've talked about, uh, you and I have talked about this, how this age group has been told forever, since they're old enough to understand and even before, the, the marvelous potential and the great people they are and, and, and you know, the difference they're going to make and yeah. they can do this. The and world they can do is that. at your fingertips. The, the world is at your fingertips, exactly. Yeah. And then that moment of choice comes, and uh, it is so interesting, especially when you talk to a 17-year-old. 17-year-old, it's an interesting age group. 17, 17 and a half, because all of a sudden the realities of their, in, their pending independence mm-hmm. come hit them straight in the face. Yeah. 
And I find that, that that's an age where people all of a sudden start to put some brakes on and say, wait a sec, I, I'm not sure I'm ready for this. Right. And, uh, and then it comes. So that's the first thing. It was that experience with a family member, going through all of that experience. And the second is really my professional career. My, my background is in, uh, in uh, leadership development and consulting, and I spend you know, much of my, my time working with executives and, and, and organizations, public and private and not-for-profit and education, et cetera, on these, these leadership concepts. Right. And I, I had a personal paradigm shift um, when I started to take some of these same leadership concepts that we deal with very senior-level executives and bring them down to uh, high school age kids and even elementary age children, and I realize you know what they get it. Yeah. It hits the truth button for them, and and they start to realize they start to use the language and they start to see results by aligning themselves with principles of leadership. And so both those things together really were the impetus behind you know I, I need to write some of these things down, some of these experiences down, and some of the things that I'm learning. The, these these. Uh, these kids, I say kids because it, you know we're yeah. talking about children, <laughs> but, but these young adults, right. they bring a lot to the table, and they have intellectual horsepower that, that grasp these concepts. It's interesting because as you sit, and I know some of your clients are like big, big companies or like military leaders, right. um, and as you go and sit and you're teaching leadership to some admiral, and then you then go teach a 17-year-old the exact same principle. It must right. be it must be very empowering to think when you can see a 17-year-old grasp that idea and start integrating it into their life. I just spoke recently at a at a conference that was uh, mostly 17-year-olds, some some 15, 16-year-olds as well, and I had you know, the day with them to talk about these leadership concepts. And they, each of them, they were required to write a letter. So they each, each one of them wrote me a letter to talk about what they had internalized. It was, it was marvelous. Now, the hmm. letter, the language of the letter was written in the language of the 15-year-old right. or the 17-year-old. But the commitments they were making, their application to their life was, was really as significant as it is when I'm dealing with, you know, an admiral or a general. Oh, that's wonderful. And, I mean, it's so, it's so, it just unleashes the power, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It does. You, you do feel empowered because you see them feel empowered. Well, and how horrible nowadays when it's so expensive to go to college anyway, it's so hard to find a job anyway, it's so easy to get into debt, to not go in with a fairly clear vision is going right. to put you so far behind. Right. And that vision, I think, is, is everything. You know, one of the, the, the key things that you're talking about on your show today is tools for parents. And, uh, and honestly, Matt, I think that uh, this idea, this concept of vision is one of the things that is most significant. On the sound bites that you shared a few minutes ago, one of the one of the dads with some angst was talking about, you know, I, I talk and talk and they don't listen and they don't listen. Right. You know, my experience is they do. My experience with my own kids is that there are moments where I think, "Cow, is any of this <laughs> getting through their thick skull?" Right. And then I've I've now had the chance to see two of them go through the whole teenagerhood, where there were times I just thought I was speaking to a blank wall, <laughs> and they get to the other side of that, and I realize that many of the things that I was talking about and trying to teach and trying to show by example and not always doing a great job there, you know, because we all make mistakes. Sure. But it got through. It got through. They and were they listening. Would start to teach me. They were listening. That that would be one thing I would just 
you know, say to the listening audience that, you know what, just because you don't think they're listening and just because they're giving you exactly zero signals that they're listening doesn't mean they're not listening. Yeah, so keep saying it. Keep, <laughs> keep saying it. And it's interesting, too, because even if they weren't listening per se, but they were just storing ideas, right. um, they're all going to come back. And, yeah. uh, you know, as the way kind of life rotates back on you, eventually, yeah. as it circles back, you're going to get hit again and again. And then you felt it. You have those moments where you, all of a sudden your parents' voice just echoes in your head <laughs> and it gives you chills. Yeah. And then you you're actually your saying the same thing. <laughs> yes. Isn't that scary? That is. That's great, is. though, actually. So vision. Vision's a key. And, and do you, I mean, maybe the kids just today, I, I think some of this is... Things are moving so fast, and they're so distracted, and we're so distracted as parents, and the economy, and debt, and all this technology. I wonder if we just—are we sitting down enough as parents to help them create that vision? There's so many kids that just don't have a clue who they are or what they should be. Yeah, probably not, and it it does take some concerted time. And I would say that if us as parents haven't taken time ourselves— to sit down and reflect deeply on our priorities, on what really is important, then it's difficult for us to think that our kids are going to do that. Right. So that's, that's an important step. You know, the old um, quote that we've all heard so much that no one on their deathbed wishes they'd spent more time at the office. Right. And, uh, and well, yet Nixon we all, did, right? Yeah. And we, we all get so um, uh, consumed in the day-to-day daily grind that uh, it's hard to take a little bit of time to step so back and, and view the big perspective. But if we can do that, then it allows us, I think, to, to help us better do that with our kids. Uh, as you think about the vision there, Sean, and kind of preparing for this, um, we're going to take a break in a minute. But when we come back, I really want to talk about one of the key things, I think, for the for our kids is to have some sense of maybe their talents, their gifts, um, their purpose, and then be able to kind of segue some of this into a job. Right. Um, but, so, and, but I guess preceding the job, they also, it seems like, would need some kind of moral root. They need to have some identity of who they are, I guess, morally, um, their values, their principles. Is that part mm-hmm. of the vision then? That is part of the vision. Most definitely. How do you, uh, just quickly, in about a minute, how do you, what's a way right now that parents could open up the dialogue and start talking about that vision, that spiritual well, side? I love the idea that, uh, that Dr. Stephen R. Covey shared. He defined leadership as seeing, um, leadership as seeing someone's worth and potential so clearly they begin to see it in themselves. And mm. I think that same statement could be said about parenthood, that parenthood is seeing someone's worth and potential so clearly that they begin to see it in themselves. Seeing another's worth and potential, seeing your kid's worth and potential, that you're, you have that vision for your, your, your child. And one of the what foundations to this is that sense of who they are, their sense of purpose, their sense of spiritual well-being, um, you know, and, and, and being open with them and talking about it. There are several things that a parent can do um, and that, that the, uh, the child could do to, uh, to build that foundation. Like, because um, honestly, I think if more kids 
had some feedback coming from their parents about what they, you know, who they are, what they what they see their talents are. I mean, like I've at this stage in my life, I kind of have learned more and more about what my talents are, and I see that I can actually see my children's talents perhaps better than they even can. Right. Um, right. So I guess part of that is just helping them point that out. When we come back, one of the things I do want you to get into is. Um, some exercises. What are some exercises they can also use to kind of connect into that vision? Terrific. And uh, so we'll come back. We're talking to author Sean D. Moon. Sean um, is a great man, great, excellent, and just an incredible human being, wonderful father, leader extraordinaire, wrote the book On Your Own, A Young Adult's Guide to Making Smart Decisions. We'll be back with him and more tools to help you guide your family to a healthier life. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Do you want to hear all your favorite BYU Radio shows while you're on the go? Now you can. BYU Radio's free iPhone app places all the BYU Radio programming at your fingertips through your iPhone or iPod. Enjoy all your favorites at the touch of a button. Download your free iPhone app on the Apple Store now. Good afternoon, I'm Sam McCall for Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Costa Ricans are counting their blessings for now after a 7.6 magnitude earthquake shook the region but didn't cause too much damage. The quake cut some areas from power around San Jose and a tsunami warning was issued on the Pacific side. One hotel owner did say her building was shaken but nothing was broken. However, not everyone is as well off as she is. The roads are closed because there were a few accidents. Yeah, and now they have, uh, they tell, told us it could be a tsunami. So we are high, but everything's le- everybody's leaving. So far, three people have been reported dead and over 20 injured. Yesterday was day one of the Democratic National Convention, and there was a clear message against Mitt Romney, as well as an emotional appeal from the First Lady. San Antonio Mayor Julian Castro summed up the theme in the keynote address, Romney's out of touch with the middle class. Mitt Romney, quite simply, doesn't get it. Former Ohio Governor Ted Strickland was more colorful. He would fire the reindeer and outsource the elves. Michelle Obama capped the evening, lovingly describing a man who spends nights worrying about the plight of average Americans. The man we can trust to keep moving this great country forward. My husband. Sagar Megani Charlotte. Barack Obama. While both sides of the political spectrum point fingers and claim they have the best way forward, an international ranking service has once again downgraded the United States competitiveness rating. An annual survey from the World Economic Forum says the U.S. has fallen in the global economic competitive stakes for the fourth year running. Though the world's largest economy has become more competitive, partly through its status as a global innovation powerhouse, the forum says the U.S.'s ranking has dropped two places to seventh. 
The survey finds there is low public trust in politicians just two months before the presidential election. Switzerland tops the ranks, followed by Singapore. Marta Migdawek, London. Egypt's new Islamist president has made his position on the Syrian conflict clear that Assad should step down. It's the first foreign policy speech by Mohamed Morsi, Egypt's new president, who's from the Muslim Brotherhood. He had several clear messages. Syria's president Bashar Assad should step down before it's too late. Morsi referred to other Arab Spring revolts that have toppled dictators. Then he told Iran to keep its hands off Arab countries. Countering speculation that the Islamist Morsi is going to team up with fundamentalist Iran. It's Morsi's way of claiming center stage in Arab diplomacy. Mark Levy, Cairo. You're listening to BYU Radio on Sirius XM 143. I'm Sam McCall. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We are uh, taking on this idea of helping your children make better decisions in their lives, smarter decisions. We're talking to the author, Sean Moon, the author of the book, On Your Own. Uh, Sean is a leadership consultant and executive in uh, corporate America and has written the book. He also is a father of four and uh, just a wonderful guy. Now, Sean, welcome back to the program. Thank you, Matt. Now, you're, well, you're in Chicago right now, aren't you? I am, yes. How's the weather back there? Yeah, I went running this morning and uh, ran uh, through the campus of Northwestern University oh, in love a that heavy area. downpour. Did it's you? Beautiful. Oh. Yeah, I don't love the rain, but that is... That was my favorite oh. run of the summer. Was it really? Northwestern, yeah, you can't beat it. Yeah. Now, uh, Sean, as, we, as we've been talking about it, some of the things in your book, one of the things that we really have to make sure the kids have is choice. They understand that they're, they're an agent in their own life. They're a change right. agent. Right. And then another is vision. And before we took the break, you were talking about the importance of this vision. How, how do we help our kids start to catch a vision of what their life really is about? You know, the, the, the idea of vision is so powerful, and perhaps there are a couple of uh, uh, conversations that you can engage your, your kids in, and if they're willing, even write some stuff down. I have found that as I've worked with uh, of teenagers in particular, teenagers and young adults, that uh, they are willing to do this. You get them in the right circumstance, and they're willing to do this. And I try to engage them around a few very simple things that help them um, you know, get a sense of, of their potential and a sense of what they want to do and be. So one thing I'll, I'll have them do is I'll write on a sheet of paper just a line, you know, just let it go as long as they want. And at the beginning line, that, rep, that dot represents their birth. Mm. And then somewhere an inch or two past that, right where we are today, and then at the end of that line, write their death. But it gives them a sense to visually see, you know, my life is a finite thing. I don't have forever. I have, I have to start making choices because every choice has a consequence. So mm. that's something that usually is a little bit of a sobering thing for kids to think, well, I, you know, I, I may not go on forever. I've got to do something with right. this thing that I've got. And then the second exercise I'll take them through is, is very reflective, and it's for them to, to uh, think about people in their lives that have had you know, an impact. I love this, this uh, 
quote that was attributed, I think, to Charles Schultz, although I'm not sure he was the one that ultimately wrote it, but he talks about naming the five wealthiest people in the world, naming the five last Heisman Trophy winners, naming ten people who've won the Nobel Prize, questions like that. None of us know the answer to those questions. But then get to questions like, name a few teachers who aided your journey. Well, we can all think of that. Name three friends who helped you at a time of need. We can think of that. Name five people who have taught you something worthwhile. Things like that, they right. all start and start to, to think introspectively. And then I'll, I'll ask them to think about influential leaders. Uh, when I do this with teenagers, you know, it's almost always, not surprisingly, they almost always identify a parent or their parent. Do they now? Oh, that's they great. Do. Yeah, they do. Now, if parents are doing it, they may not. Yeah. <laughs> but when someone other than their parent does that, they, they bring that up. They'll talk about a teacher. They'll talk about a friend. Well, at least they're not bringing up their parole officer, you right? Know, I mean, yeah. Yeah. That, that would be bad. But that, I mean, it's a, it's a great sign that uh, it's interesting. All of the people they're bringing up, though, are the people that they have personal relationships with. That's right. Those so the personal are really what end up mattering. Yeah, at a personal level somehow. So when you identify that list of people, and then you ask them, what is it about those people that was significant? And they'll write down, they loved me, they saw, they saw potential in me, they did this for me. And they start to identify these traits. And, and so when we translate, that's what someone did for you. Now, what do you want to do for others? They start to see themselves in that leader role. They start to see themselves as someone who is capable of um, of doing significant things. Then I, I, I engage them in a process where we talk about things that you want to have in this life. This can be material possessions. This can be immaterial possessions. It can be, but what are those, tra- it could be traits, qualities of character, but what do you want to have? Hmm. What do you want to do? Things you want, you want to travel, you want to get your, your PhD, you want to go to medical school or law school, or you want to go to nursing school. And what do you want to be? And these are qualities of character. And we've just talked about the, the, the leaders that have made a difference in your life. Right. You know, what, what can you be, become? What type of person? And I see, lots of, uh, I see lots of pens and pencils moving rapidly in this section. People like to think about their material possessions, but beyond that, they realize, you know, having a, a hot car is cool, and I'd like that someday, but I want to be a person like my dad. Yeah, I want to be someone yeah. like my mom. Um, this could even just be done via email, right? I mean, could. you could just you could just slowly start sending out these questions That's to right. your kids while they're away at school, and and just have them think about it for a week. And next time I call you, I want to I'd love to hear some answers. And Matt, I think that's an important point. I find that this process is best when it is done over a period of time. Sure. And yeah. not, not in a 30-minute, uh, you know, sit down and you're going to listen to me talk kind of session. But And you but, really want them enrolled in it. I mean, it's it, it's amazing, though. They, like my daughter, who's um, out of the country, you know, just visiting dangerous places. Um, <laughs> that's all. all of the sudden, that's all. But uh, it's interesting. She knows. She knows how she wants to influence the world. And she she just kind of did it on her own. And and it's interesting, too, because she even as she dates people, she runs them through this filter. Is this somebody that wants to serve the world that way? Is this somebody yeah. that wants to do that? And and it ends up being a great tool, I guess, to help her make these decisions. I had an interesting experience just a couple of weeks ago. I have a, a son who's the same age as your daughter, and he, like your daughter, is out of the country. 
And so he wrote me this letter, and, and uh, he was talking about these concepts, and he, he was teasing himself. He said, gosh, Dad, I'm starting to sound just like you. You know, that's, that's a good moment for a dad. Yeah. Because he was one of those for a period of time, I wonder, is anything ever getting through this kid's <laughs> skull? But sure enough, you know, drip by drip, it, it does. It's working. It is. I love it. Sure. See, I, I think it's, that's, that's payday for a parent, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. Now, one of the keys, too, I guess, with all of this vision and these choices is that they really need to go get a job. They need to get a career. They need to figure out how they're going to make it on their own. Because if they don't, they're coming home, Sean. They're coming back, and they're going to raise their family in your house. Yeah. So what, what are some tools? I know in your book you address kind of getting a job. What are some principles that you teach um, that might be good good things for the parents to teach as their kids are out there trying to get a job, trying to find a career? Well, first thing, get that basement apartment ready. <laughs> That's right. Get oh, it ready. I'm fall back. Um, I, I've identified, and there's just, there's, you know, I'm not the expert on this. I've identified 10 critical uh, activities or, or behaviors that need to be addressed that I think you can, you can, as parents, you can train around and at least engaged in some constructive conversation around this. And, and, you know, when you're 16, you probably don't care much about it. But when you're 18 and you, and you have to start thinking about what am I going to declare as my major, all of a sudden this becomes important. And these tools then mo- translate uh, transition from being something that mom or dad made me go through to something that becomes a bit of a lifeline. Yeah, exactly. And, and they include things like just what I've talked about, engaging in discussion about priorities, about vision, and about what you, know, what you want to do and what you want to be. That's, that's an important discussion. I know something that, uh, that was critical in my own experience, and I found this to be the case as I've interviewed uh, literally hundreds of, uh, of uh, young adults going through this same process, this idea of broadening your perspective. Hmm. Just as you sent your daughter off into the, into the scary world, um, you know, every, every person needs to have an experience like that. My right. father... Uh, did that uh, with me when I was young. You know, I was I was still just a child, but I had the opportunity at, at great sacrifice on his part to uh, experience uh, something outside the small, somewhat isolated valley that I grew up in. Uh, and we we spent uh, an extended period of time overseas, and I saw poverty, I saw corrupt government, mm. I saw police brutality, I saw. Uh, wonderful people that, that lived a life very, very different from mine. And, and I started to develop a, a sense of the world and a sense of the goodness and a sense of the challenge that is out there. And that, that did inform what I wanted to, to study yeah, that, and what I wanted to become. That's interesting because that seems like, too, where a lot of parents would be afraid is, you know, we don't want it to go too, we don't, sure, we want them to expand their horizon, but we don't want it to be the world horizon. Just, it, it just is this, hard. Matt, just this think about part the experience with your own daughter now oh, that she's, she's in and, Israel. And how difficult that is as a parent to, to be willing to cut the apron strings oh, a yeah. bit and, and let her go experience that. But just what her letters already are just, it's, they're mind boggling what yeah. she's learning. Yeah, the growth that occurs and the clarity of thinking that occurs in an experience like that is profound. It's like, I guess what we do is we expand, and then they'll kind of naturally probably retract back to a different yeah. level, but hopefully more expanded, more open, 
having seen the world. So broadening perspectives is a huge one. Uh, what do you think? One of the things I find, I have a lot of people that come up to me, um, and, and a lot of people like want to do what I do. They say they want to do what I do. They want the, you know, they want to go speak and travel and all these things and have shows. And but I, I notice that some of them aren't willing to pay the piper. That's true. Have you noticed that? That is true. And I had a conversation recently with uh, with a young adult who um, was considering uh, dropping out of school because of a job opportunity. And mm-hmm. I just I, I pled with him, do not do that. You have to be willing to pay the price. Yeah. And that's one of the key principles. I One of my favorite business books is uh, written by a, a fellow named Jim Collins, who wrote several books, including... Um, uh, Built to Last, Built to last. and uh, Good, Good to, to Great. great. <laughs> and uh, in Good to Great, he talks about his friend Dave Scott, who's won the, the Ironman, Hawaiian Ironman, Kona Ironman, six times. Wow. And he, he talks about, he goes through his, the training that Dave wow. go, engages every day. And, you know, 75-mile bike ride, then swim 20,000 meters, then run 17 miles on an average day the entire Jeez. year. And one of the things that Dave does in his morning routine is he's, he's eating his, his prescribed breakfast. He takes his cottage cheese and he rinses it. Uh. I thought, what? <laughs> he's rinsing his cottage cheese because he wants to make sure that he pays the price in every single detail. He doesn't want any detail See, uh. not, not addressed. And I, I put chocolate great... sauce on my cottage cheese. <laughs> That is crazy. I mean, see, but think of that. And then, every, hey, I want to be just like that guy. No, you yeah, don't. The, I mean, you the won't. The metaphor of, of rinsing, being willing to rinse your yeah. cottage cheese. Do you I've have that about character? That with my kids. I love that. That is, that's enormous. So pay the price. They've got to learn to pay the price. It's, it's, it may have just been too easy, or maybe as parents, sometimes we make it look too easy, but there's something about being willing to do it. Um, what are some other keys for them to go get a job that you see that are critical? You know, I think it's okay, in addition to being able, willing to pay the price, which sometimes means going through hard classes or enduring jobs that you don't like, that's right. part of paying the price, is to then pursue that which you're passionate about. Robert Frost, Frost talks about the, uh, you know, combining your avocation, what you love I to love do, that. Yeah, with your vocation, what you do for work. And when you can combine those things, that's critical. I and as a teenager, I flipped burgers and scooped ice cream and, and watered plants at a nursery and mowed lawns and, you know, all the stuff that teenagers do to earn money. And I realized that uh, I didn't want to do that for the rest of my life. But right. if I hadn't had that experience, I'm not sure I would have appreciated, um, you know, the price that I did pay. So, how, I mean, that's interesting because I guess that, that's every piece of that was to broaden the perspective as well. You, yeah. you had the perspective, then you, you put in the energy to make it work. Um, how do you get your kids to, to maybe select and make better decisions? How do you get them to actually decide between one option or another? I mean, these kids getting internships, they've got two really good options. How do they decide which one's the go-ahead, which one's not? Well, they need to explore their values. They need to explore what, what they really want to do. Then they need to spend time talking with people. I've, I've found that if you can, and, and I do lots of these kinds of interviews with uh, young adults, and I send young adults to talk to a bunch of different people. I have a good friend who his whole life he wanted to be an attorney. And then when he did some interviews and did a little schooling, he realized, no, I really no don't want to do that. I, I discovered. <laughs> That's crazy. But, but he had to, you know, learn from some experts, do an internship, 
talk to someone who is an attorney or is a, is a physician and, and see what their life is like. I interviewed uh, one CEO, and I, I said, what, you know, how do you make decisions? You're a CEO. You're not 21 years old, so you've kind of figured some things out. And he, he was very helpful. He spelled out some of the things that he goes through, and he, you know, he wants to make a good living, but, it, the, but that was not the top of his list. Hmm. He, he realized for him he needed to do stuff that, that rung his bell, that, that he was passionate about. He needed to do stuff that uh, uh, engaged him with smart people, so he knew that working with other people was something that was... Uh, uh, important to him. Love I know one, one uh, physician I, I interviewed, you know, he realized he didn't really like working with people, so he chose a, a medical uh, field that uh, really allowed him to use his, his science and his studies, but didn't require him to interact with people very often. Oh, okay. Some of those things you don't learn no. until you get into. Yeah, see, I mean, oh, totally. And then you're so glad you learned, because yeah. what if you had gone to med school? <laughs> what if you had gone all the way into the program, then you realize you hate blood? Well, and I'm telling you, Matt, I see this a lot. Yeah. I know you do as well. Yeah, oh, absolutely. You, you, you encounter people who, who you know, they're climbing the proverbial ladder of success, and they go rung after rung after rung, and all the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into that experience, and they get to the top of the ladder only to realize that it's leaning against the wrong wall. And they're, they're, they, they're not where they wanted to be. Right. And it doesn't seem like this is a time or an age where you can afford decisions. You know, you can't make those mistakes. Yeah. I mean, you can. I guess you can recover, but it's just more time. Hey, Sean, as we wrap up, uh, give us one more. What's the number one thing? What's the if we if if we as parents could help our children do one thing? Uh, what what would that one thing be? And then what challenge would you leave us with? What's the one thing they could do? I would I would suggest that. Uh, going through the process of creating a personal mission statement is is the one thing um, it's a difficult process it is something that requires a bunch of time and a lot of introspection and you're not going to get it exactly right the first time but but if they're willing to go through that that will begin to clarify and instead of being an event it will become a bit of a process that may take them a few years but it starts to get them thinking about what really is important. And this doesn't just apply to work. It applies to, you know, who am I as a person? What do I stand for? What do I believe? What are my values? What is my sense of spirituality? Then it'll extend to, now what do I want to study? And what kinds of contributions do I want to make in the world? And then it becomes to, what, what sort of person do I want to be? And what, what, what legacy do I want to leave as I, as I begin my own family? What kind of mother or father do I want to be? Right. So this process of starting, you know, your personal constitution, um, there are a number of activities and things that you could do, but just starting the conversation is critical. It will be less meaningful when they're 15 yeah. and more meaningful when they're 18 and a lot more meaningful when they're 21. And, uh, you know, past the point of, of hope when you're 70. No, actually. <laughs> <laughs> actually, there is still hope, isn't there? There is still hope. It doesn't matter when you find the vision, just as long as you catch it. That's right. Sean That's Moon, right. so appreciate you, buddy. Uh, good work. If people want to get a hold of your book on your own, they can find it at barn or uh, Amazon.com. Amazon.com or go to SeanDMoon.com. SeanDMoon.com. Sean, appreciate you, brother. Thank you very much. Take care, my friend. Good talk with you, Matt. Bye-bye. Thank you. And uh, great stuff. 
Parents, we can do this. We can help our kids catch their vision. Come back after this break. We'll give you a few more tools, and we'll wrap it up right here on the Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Cell phone apps aren't new, but a cell phone with a nose for danger is. This is Innovation Now, bringing you stories of revolutionary ideas, emerging technologies, and the people behind the concepts that shape the future. Recently, scientists at NASA's Ames Research Center demonstrated new cell phone technologies that can save lives. An electronic nose in a small module called Cell All clips to your existing cell phone and turns it into a roving chemical sensor that can warn you of toxic threats in the air. The cell phone nose was successfully tested by Los Angeles Fire and Police Departments on a practice emergency to warn of dangerous carbon monoxide levels. The compact units can also be designed to detect other chemicals and eventually could be built right into new phones. The sniffing cell phones can be used as personal warning devices to protect you at home, work, or in your car. But another method could use the sensors and thousands of enabled phones to create a vast, instant, citywide chemical threat detection system. With the phone owner's permission, emergency responders could use the phone sensors and wireless network to pinpoint a toxic threat anywhere in the city and counter it before people could be harmed. For Innovation Now, this is Buddy Rubino. Innovation Now is produced by the National Institute of Aerospace through collaboration with NASA and is distributed by WHRV. Visit us online at innovationnow.us. After a stifling defensive performance against Mike Leach and the Washington State Air Raid, KBN does it again. The BYU football team now looks closer to home as they take on in-state foe, the Weber State Wildcats. Looks middle, lobs in zone, man, wide open, catch, touchdown, he got it! It's BYU football this Saturday on BYU Radio. Pre-game begins at 1 p.m. Eastern time with kickoff scheduled for 3 p.m. Eastern. Here on the home of Cougar Sports, Sirius XM 143, BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We've been talking about uh, how to help your children make smart decisions. Just talked to the author, Sean Moon, about, uh, you know, choice and change and vision and helping your kids just catch a vision of who they are and and what they have to offer this world. Uh, Now, again, it might seem like sometimes we're just trying to push our kids too quickly to move on, right? So do you want your kids to hurry up and grow up? Well, Bryce, uh, one of our producers, has some ideas that might give you an idea of what to do. Look, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but I'm about to rant. This is The Bryce is Right. Kids these days, we have it so easy, right? Well, for some, yeah, that's absolutely true. On more than one occasion, I have been accused of thinking too much, which is a totally bogus accusation. I'm pretty sure a lot of property damage and hospital visits could be avoided if one or more people took a step back and thought for just three extra seconds about what they plan on doing. But I weigh and analyze and I pro and con and I go over my choices again and again to figure out if it's worth it. And if I'm not sure about something, I'm not going to do it. So then what's my criteria? Well, it's more complicated than just risk versus return. That's just gambling, and gambling is dumb. 
Let me describe it to you this way. I often find myself jumping from 10 feet in the air onto things. Now, at 10 feet, I could easily hurt myself, right? So why do I do it? Because there is a trampoline underneath me that I didn't tell you about until right now. Regardless of the fact that most kids can trace at least one hospital visit to an unfortunate encounter with a trampoline, I'm not worried about how high I can jump. It's a very low-risk situation. But you know what else? It's also not any fun after a few minutes. No risk, and there's no excitement or growth. So why do kids these days have things so easy? It's because they have too many trampolines to bounce off of. And it's not just you parents. There's many other trampoline providers out there. And as with all things, some trampolines are very useful, and others we could definitely do without. But we're going to give you parents some attention for a second. Because even though it may be hard to fail, it can sometimes be really hard to watch someone crash and burn, especially when you could have easily prevented it. So then what can you do? Well, here's a little inspiration that comes from an unlikely source. It's from games. One of the most frustrating aspects of a video game's development is tuning the difficulty. Too easy? The player's bored. Too hard? The player is frustrated and angry. After 40 plus years of constant trial and error, someone along the way came up with the idea of a checkpoint. Simple, really. Once you've made it so far, that spot is saved. Should things go awry at some point in the future, you go back to that last checkpoint. Nobody likes wasting their time, and doing the same thing over and over gets old fast. Then again, without the risk of failure, what's the point? The checkpoint mediates all this. It reduces the repetition, and in terms of wasted time, it's a lot better than going back to the very beginning. Think about it. We've been doing this with college for years. Imagine having to go straight through, and any failures mean you have to restart. Everyone would hate college, and also, no one would really graduate, because it would be too much to deal with. But with semesters, there's a built-in checkpoint every couple of months. So a life lined with trampolines won't promote growth. And trust me, even if you try and act like one isn't there, we kids know when it's there. And we also have no problem doing as we please because we know it'll be there to bounce us back. But if you were to put some space in between those trampolines, well, that changes the game altogether now, doesn't it? All right, I'm out. And remember, don't forget to be awesome. Good work, Bryce. Tuning your pain. I like that. Is that what he said? Tuning your pain. I To me, life is about learning to tune your pain. Uh, we all have troubles. We all have trials. And I think as we throw our kids out into the, the world, you know what? Maybe um, the key is that they have the ability to tune their pain. Now, listen to this. I just found this quote by a guy in, in Sean Moon's book by a guy named Jenkins Lloyd-Jones. Listen to this. Anyone who imagines bliss is normal is going to waste a lot of time running around shouting that he's been robbed. The fact is that most putts don't drop, most beef is tough, most children grow up to be just people, most successful marriages require a high degree of mutual toleration. Most jobs are more often dull than otherwise. Life is like an old-time rail journey, delays, sidetracks, smoke, dust, cinders, and jolts, interspersed only occasionally by uh, beautiful vistas and thrilling bursts of speed. The trick is to thank the Lord for letting you have the ride. So as we wrap up the show, uh, you know what? We got to learn to tune our pain. We got to get our children ready for the real world. Get out there. Some of the the keys that we talked about help them understand they have choice and agency in their life. Also help them understand the importance of a vision of understanding who they are, their gifts, their talents. And one of the best ways to do that is to identify the people that have influenced their lives. Um, and, and then start challenging them to project their life a little bit forward. What's, what do you want it to be like at your funeral? What would you want people to say about you? And what are the things you want to have done and accomplished, and how would you like to change the world? Simple questions, right? I challenge you as we wrap up the show, get out there. Start talking to your family. Talk to your kids 
about these great ideas about hope and future. Remember the lie that the world is not as bad and dark as it may seem. There's always hope. Start looking for the good folks. Keep listening to us on the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. KBYU FM HD2 Provo. Today's Thinking Aloud original.